our oldest is, is really into animals. And because he's into animals, I'm learning all kinds of peculiar things. For instance, did you know that some praying mantises devour their mates? Did you realize that it's normal for a panda who has twins to abandon one to take care of the other? Would you believe even dolphins will kidnap young porpoises and torture them as though the dolphins are in a gang? I know that one really crushed me. Now, if we human beings were to do any of those things, we would call it wrong or unjust. We don't like it when things are unjust because deep inside, we realize that, that we are set apart as human beings by God, created in the image of God. We have this sense that we are all therefore equal before God and have the right to be treated with dignity and, and fairness. And yet, as, as broken people living in a, in a world damaged by sin, there is injustice everywhere. The human tendency to define good and evil for our own advantage at the expense of others shows up at the personal level, the, the familial level, the community level, even the institutional and social level. It's always the, the most vulnerable who are harmed the most. Racial injustice, economic injustice, social injustice, environmental injustice. Sometimes we may perpetuate it. Sometimes we benefit from it. Sometimes we are unaware. Sometimes we choose to be unaware. Sometimes we don't want to be uncomfortable with having to deal with what we perceive to be a problem that doesn't directly affect us. Sometimes we're silent when we know Something is not just. Sometimes we would rather be safe and nice rather than coming alongside someone and those who are, who are vulnerable and, and hurting and experiencing the consequences of unjust practices or systems or, or policies. And the, the Bible is pretty clear that this is not the way. God cares about justice. It's a part of God's very, very character and mission. As we continue in our, in our Lent sermon series, our return sermon series this morning, we see Jesus make a statement and invite us to, to return from silence to justice. From silence to justice. Let us pray. God, open our hearts and minds to your word for us this day. We pray that it would take root there. Grow us, transform us so that we might live for you and bear fruit for your kingdom. This we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the Gospel of John, the second chapter. Verses 13 through 22. Listen for God's word. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover and Jesus went up to Jerusalem he found in the temple those who were selling cattle, sheep, and doves, as well as those involved in exchanging currency sitting there. He made a whip from ropes and chased them all out of the temple, including the cattle and the sheep. He scattered the coins and overturned the tables of those who exchanged currency. He said to the dove sellers, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house a place of business. 
his disciples remembered that it is written, Passion for your house consumes me. Then the Jewish leaders asked him, By what authority are you doing these things? What miraculous sign will you show us? Jesus answered, Destroy this temple, and in three days I'll raise it up. The Jewish leaders replied, It took 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But the temple Jesus was talking about was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered what he had said, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You know, when a passage, when a story appears in all four Gospels, you pay attention to it. This is one. Jesus has just begun his ministry in John's Gospel. He's just turned water into wine at a wedding, and now he's turning over tables in the temple. It's time for the Passover. This, is the, uh, this was the annual celebration of God liberating the Israelites from their unjust, oppressive bondage in Egypt. Jews from all over the, the Roman world would make a pilgrimage to the Jerusalem temple to celebrate this feast, to worship, and to offer sacrifices. The temple wasn't just the equivalent of the first big downtown church on the corner. The, the temple was the very center of spiritual, political, economic life and power in Jerusalem. Not only was it considered to be the place where heaven and earth overlapped and intersected, where God dwelled, it's where political decisions were made, it's, it's where economic transactions occurred, and where social order was preserved. The high priest was a major political leader, usually allied with Rome. Political leaders, both Romans and their puppet kings like King Herod, would have known that good favor with the temple was mutually beneficial for both of them as a way to control. And because it collected taxes and money from people, the temple also accumulated a lot of wealth, becoming a kind of bank broker for the people of Jerusalem would have also been a, a client or employer of local businesses like incense manufacturers, curtain manufacturers, goldsmiths, bakers, and others. Finally, the, the temple structure itself, the temple building structure itself affirmed the social order. And it went like this, from least to greatest. Court of Gentiles, court of women, court of Jews, Holy of Holies, which was for the high priests only. So the temple would be like the Capitol, the Supreme Court, Walmart, Wall Street, and the Vatican all rolled into one. And Jesus walks into this temple at the holiest, busy, one of the, during one of the holiest, busiest times and sees people selling cattle, sheep, doves. He also sees people who are involved with exchanging currency, now, actually, Jesus wouldn't have been shocked to see these things. This was just a part of the temple system. The temple was a place where people made animal sacrifices. Jewish law required this. People needed animals to sacrifice, particularly if they were poor or if they were traveling long distances to the temple for Passover. Additionally, the animals offered for sacrifice had to be without blemish, according to Jewish law. 
and there were inspectors there to make sure. I wonder how many animals that people brought with them actually met that criteria. How convenient that there would be animals without blemish available there for people to purchase. However, the temple would not accept the Roman coins that most people carried with them because Caesar's head was on the coin. Money changers would be there to exchange the Roman coins for temple currency for a small fee, of course. So the sale of animals and the exchanging of currency was necessary. But not everything that is necessary remains just. Not everything that is necessary remains just. All of this was taking place in a world where already poor and vulnerable people of Israel were being oppressed and burdened with taxes to the breaking point, many unable to afford the basics. Jesus sees this, sees the injustice lurking beneath the surface there, the injustice of the whole temple system. His heart beats for justice because God's does. He's seen this before. This is what the prophets preached about again and again when they critiqued God's people for making sacrifices and worshiping God all the while perpetuating or, or being silent in the midst of unjust practices that, that hurt the immigrant and the orphan and the widow and the poor and the most vulnerable. In the beginning of Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, God says, your offerings stink to me. Put an end to your unjust practices and instead seek justice. Help the oppressed, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. Prophet Amos says something similar. I reject your festivals. I don't enjoy your joyous assemblies. If you bring me your entirely burned offerings of food, I, will, I won't be pleased. I won't even look at your offerings of well-fed animals. Take away the noise of your songs. I won't listen to the melody of your harps. Harps. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Micah 6.8. What does the Lord require of you but to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God? See, justice, justice in the Bible is not primarily about paying consequences for a wrong action. More often, it refers to seeking out vulnerable people being taken advantage of and helping them, as well as taking steps to advocate for them and to change social structures to prevent injustice. Jesus incarnates <laughs> This particular form of justice here, God in the flesh, Jesus, has no problem interrupting a religious festival in the heart of the temple where thousands of people have gathered to worship and offer sacrifices. People can't celebrate the Passover properly, but Jesus thinks it's worth it. The temple loses revenue, but Jesus thinks it's worth it. Jesus does something when he sees injustice taking place in his father's house. There's no neutrality here. There is no not taking sides. There is no meeting in the middle. There is no middle ground neutrality when it comes to injustice. There's only justice. And so Jesus makes a whip from ropes and chases them out of the temple, including all the cattle and the sheep. He scatters the coins. He overturns the tables of those who exchange currency. And he says to the dove sellers, get these things out of here. Don't make my father's house to a place of business. 
and you can almost hear the words of the prophets echoing in, in the background as coins clanged against the floor. A passion for God's house, a passion for worship is also by necessity a passion for God's justice. Entering into the temple, overturning the, the tables, Jesus caught the attention of those silent in the face of this exploitative practice while demonstrating the true God devotion and worship that the entirety of Scripture says is justice and care for the most vulnerable. And that's where the return is for us. That's where the return is. I doubt most of us would willfully or uh, willfully and intentionally participate or engage in unjust practices. But like the temple priests and officials, we can get caught up in institutions and systems that are perpetuating injustices and in hurting the most vulnerable. And it can be easy to, to be silent and, and passive about it while remaining in comfort and privilege. That's precisely who Jesus wants to witness this overturning the tables, this, this driving out of money changers. Those who aren't doing or saying anything to change the unjust system. I mean, it's doubtful that this, that this system was a totally cynical uh, exploitation of God's name and, and people there to worship. More likely, just the way it usually is, something that just settled into comfortable rhythms and behaviors that allowed them to meet institutional goals while turning a blind eye to the possibilities of, of wrongdoing and injustice. I mean, there may have been a few corrupt money changers, sure, but probably most people, from high priests to officials to vendors, were simply silent. Perfectly comfortable with their benefits and unconcerned with other people's problems as long as worship in the temple continued as usual. Here are people participating in a religious feast commemorating God's deliverance from the injustice of slavery and oppression. But the very place and people that facilitate this worship are themselves perpetuating a system of injustice and oppression. Irony. Friends, Jesus' death and resurrection frees us from all the forces that seek to, to hold us as God's image bearers captive. And that's who and why we worship every single week. But are we likewise too quiet sometimes in the face of forces perpetuating injustice? Jesus invites us to return. If God, through Jesus Christ, declares us righteous when we don't deserve it, the only reasonable response is to go and seek justice for others. How can we think that we don't have to join Jesus in turning over tables when there is just injustice happening around us? When we're silent and passive in the face of injustices, what we're really saying is that our comfort is more important than someone else's reality. What we're really saying is that our comfort is more important than someone else's reality. What we're saying to God is, God, stay in your lane. Stick to souls. Betray your character. 
Jesus is inviting us to, to return away from the comfort of silence to, the, to a passion for justice. God's justice. Now what that looks like will vary for each of us. And it will be a journey. But it certainly has to look like Jesus. Jesus did not use violence. Jesus never hurt or killed anyone. However, he also did not tolerate injustice. He confronted it head on. Maybe it starts with realizing that loving our neighbors means being willing to advocate for them. Maybe it means turning over tables in our own hearts first. That's how it started for me. I used to think, and I'm, I'm not a bad person. I'm not treating people unjustly without realizing that my silence and retreat in the face of injustice and oppression was itself deeply broken. I realized I was not where Jesus would be. Maybe it looks like speaking up and speaking out when you see an unjust practice. Maybe it means leveraging your status or your power or your privilege to make a change. Maybe it means telling an uncomfortable truth to those with power or in authority. Maybe it means decentering yourself so that those on the margins might be centered. Maybe it means changing the way you buy or you give, where and how you spend your time. Maybe it means becoming aware and educating yourself on different issues. Maybe it, it means joining in a peaceful protest. Maybe it means writing to lawmakers and legislators. Maybe it means voting with an eye toward the most vulnerable and marginalized. Maybe it means cultivating relationships of mutuality with those experiencing injustice, standing with them. You know, unsurprisingly, the leaders ask Jesus by what authority he's doing this, this justice. You know, we may ask that of ourselves. We may wonder that ourselves or have people ask us the same thing. Jesus has the authority to challenge the authority and practices of the temple because his whole life bears witness to the love and power of God. Followers of Christ have the power by virtue of our baptism to speak and act against injustice because our lives are supposed to bear witness to the power and love of Jesus. This is who our God is. This is who we are. We're not praying mantises or pandas or dolphins. We're different. We're human beings created in the image of God, thereby deserving dignity and, and just treatment. Justice should matter. And for those who are also followers of Jesus, whose heart beat with God's justice, whose life, death, and resurrection was all about setting us free from what binds us, for those who gather to worship God, it should really matter. Because returning to justice, toward justice, is not some secular agenda for us. It's as worshipful so we can get. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.